The following Dharma talk was given by monastic Shoan Ankele at Zen Mountain Monastery. Shoan is a Dharma holder in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is given free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everyone. Just letting you know, Shugen Roshi is on solo retreat. He has been all this past week, and he will be this coming week also. And I love to think of him over at the Abbassey, taking care of his practice and deepening it in ways that are um, most available at the remove of responsibility. I am... Um, Speaking of being at the remove of responsibility, a couple of weeks ago, hmm, I guess, yeah, a couple of weeks ago or so, I did a hermitage. Um, this is a solitary retreat practice. We have a few little huts on the property that are specifically for this. And um, I was doing a, a little bit of study. The emphasis on hermitage is zazen, but it's a, a formless practice. And a little bit of study can sometimes go a long, a long way. And I read this, this line in, in the context of a, of a longer teaching, and I just like, oh, I um, loved it. And so I, I wanted to use it as a point of entering and continuing some of the, the work that we've been doing together this weekend and this lifetime. <laughs> So um, this is from Master Guishan, and the, the, the short line, the, the essential piece that caught my attention is just this, as long as feelings don't stick to things, how can things hinder people? As long as feelings don't stick to things, how can things hinder people? So um, a few things right out of the gate. There's no admonition against feeling at all. It's on the other side of feeling. Feeling sticking to things. I was reminded of uh, cleaning, cleaning a house where a heavy smoker had lived for a long time, and that, that like sticky sort of the smoke, and I guess the nicotine forms a, a layer over everything. And kind of like that's actually not a bad metaphor for like how we go about our life. Like our, our karma, our projections, our thoughts and our feelings sort of form a really sticky layer over everything. And we keep getting stuck and caught up and our sleeves on this thing and our sock is on that thing. And we're like trying to like wipe this off. And uh, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. And that's kind of what we are doing, in a sense. It's one way of looking at practice. In a sense, it's like that part of, of the feeling and the thing and the stickiness, that's all ours at the deepest level. And so in practice, we're taking responsibility 
for this mess that we're in and um, recognizing like this is, this is our mind and heart and we can be more skillful. We can be more skillful. And in that way, we won't get so stuck and caught up and we won't get so, um, we won't be like, you know, sticking to, to others. And words can never really say, I don't think, anything about our actual experience of what it's like to feel our life changing and transforming. Even if we're relatively new to practice, as is the case with some of you, but you've returned, you're, you're here again, and maybe there is something in your life that's shifting. And, you know, you can do your best to talk about it and tell someone about it, but really it's, it's hard to put in words. It's hard to put in words, but it's amazing. It's amazing. And I think when we really begin to feel the um, power and possibility of transforming our life, then that question of like, what's the point? What's the purpose? What's life about? Sort of starts to take care of itself. So whatever we're doing out here, it can become the vehicle for that transformation. So here's the, the full passage. This is, so the, the text is called, um, it's from Master Guishan's Admonitions. Mm. And we were talking at breakfast, a group of us, about the, um, the flavor of scolding that's sometimes in Zen practice. And someone was sharing their experience at another center where that's really a, a predominant flavor. And I was sharing how that used to be much more um, of a flavor here. It feels like we've made some deliberate efforts to shift that. And then also thinking about, you know, as comes up in conversation from time to time, particularly with folks who've been around for a while, like, ooh, like in, in kind of softening that and letting that go, is there anything that we're like missing that we need to sort of keep an eye on and, and bring back? So that's an ongoing and open question. But um, that admonition, the flavor, so I think maybe it's less scolding and more admonishment, admonition. You know, be, um, be awake, you know, this. Don't squander your life. Uh, and Master Guishan is um, ninth century. He's a student of Bai Zhang, who is kind of the... the the founder of the Chan Monastery or Zen Monastery form that has been handed down across hundreds of years. It's the, the if you look at Bai Zhang's kind of recommendations for a schedule for a monastery and look at the schedule on the bulletin board, you will have no problem seeing where, where this all comes from. Um, all right, and, and, and Guishan is, is uh, he was kind of a significant teacher in his time, and he and his successor, their, their body of teaching and their lineage was one of the five houses of Zen. So this is like a, a luminary within the school. This is Thomas Cleary's translation. When you suddenly awaken to the true basis, 
This is the stairway leading out of materialism. This shatters the 25 domains of being in the three realms of existence. Know that everything, inside and outside, is all unreal. Arising from transformations of mind, all things are merely provisional names. Don't set your mind on them. As long as feelings do not stick to things, how can things hinder people? Leaving them to the all-pervasive flow of reality, do not cut them off, yet do not continue them either. When you hear sound and see form, all is natural. Whether in the relative world or in the transcendental absolute, appropriate function is not lacking. So this is a rather dense passage, um, and I don't really want to like spend this talk going through each, each, each part of it. Um, I'd like to kind of stick in that central piece and also share Thich Nhat Hanh's translation of the same, the same passage. His order still uses Guishan's admonitions as um, one of the foundational training texts for their monastics. So um, in Thich Nhat Hanh's version, this latter part, the part about sticking to things and whatnot, from to the end, is um, when you see that, you will no longer allow your mind to chase after an object. When your mind does not chase after its object, how can the object bind the mind? In our zazen, as we learn how to settle down and stabilize our attention, we can start to see what is going on, how this whole experience that I call myself and my life is arising, and how much a player I am, in fact, in my own experience. And that the things that seem to be happening kind of outside of me that I'm just reacting to, um, as we look at more and more subtle levels, we see just how responsible we actually are for our reactions, our feeling states. Um, you know, there's the teaching of interdependence. And so it's not that there aren't things that are happening, but our reactions, the way things touch us and where we go from there, that's really the... Um, the crux of the matter when we're talking about transforming our experience. So it's like we're, we're looking and we're seeing what we're doing with our mind. And then we're um, being willing to do something different. And then knowing actually how to be skillful. What's the different thing? It's not just a random different thing. It's really how to be skillful. What does it mean to turn ourselves in the direction of awakening? And so it's, you know, the, the, the Buddha's enlightenment is um, sometimes spoken about as he, his insight into what's called dependent origination or um, like just like how, how interrelated and kind of causally close and um, 
co-arising our experience in all of phenomena is. And if we, if we can't see that, then it's confusing, right? It's bewildering. We're like having this experience and we don't know why, like I keep doing this thing and I'm doing it to make me happy, but I end up suffering. Or, you know, I've been like chasing this goal forever and like now I have it and I'm not actually satisfied or... Um, uh, uh, why in my relationship, you know, we both want to get along and we just keep like hurting each other again and again and again. They're just all of these places of confusion where um, we're not seeing the depth of the different causes and conditions that are coming together. And so the Buddha in his enlightenment was said to have like really clearly seen the whole thing. And some of the like traditional Buddhist teachings are so hardcore in their exposition of how causality works, so that like everything is attributed to, to prior causes and conditions. And I mean, I guess that's like how it has to be, of course. But the um, I guess to, to make it simple, the teaching that whatever um, if we do something harmful that will bring um, harmful result to us. But maybe not in this lifetime, right? So everything we do has an effect that will come back to us. But we may or may not be able to see the relationship of our action to that effect, and it may or may not ripen even within this lifetime. So it gets very big and... um, I think that that's thrilling to think about. And I also think that we can be like much more concerned with just this lifetime and the things that we can see and feel and know a little bit with a little bit more um, of our own direct observation. So dependent origination, uh, the sort of the, Pith version of that teaching would just be um, this this uh, this phrase or series of phrases. When this is, that is. From the arising of this comes the arising of that. When this isn't, that isn't. From the cessation of this comes the cessation of that. As we're practicing, we're seeing into um, what are the arisings that give me the sense of a separate, independent self. And as I work with and see into and put to rest some of those habits and patterns and and ways of thinking and conceiving. How does my sense of an independent, separate self begin to soften? And because our sense of an independent, separate self is just a limited view, it brings us pain and suffering. And so as that sense of self begins to soften, we have more ease and peace and joy and freedom. In one sense, we could say that cause and effect are um, the whole of, of practice. 
and that each one of us is really immersed in a study, a personal study of cause and effect, kind of taking that in, seeing how our thoughts and our words and our actions shape our experience, seeing how each moment of our consciousness is conditioning the following moment, and then learning skillfully how to, like, that's like, that's like a magical power if you have the key. Because now you don't have to just be at the mercy of what seem to be external causes and conditions. You're actually in the seat of awakening. And you can choose and learn and grow. You can do things differently and see, how is that? That's good. Or, hmm, not again. Our whole life, moment by moment, is this unspooling of cause and effect. And for sure, the future depends upon the present. It's like that Pema Chodron's um, book that came out called um, How You Live is How You Die, or How We Live is How We Die. Um, yeah. And then to appreciate there are the causes that we can see, and then there are the conditions that are so hard to see, right? It's like, it's always functioning. It's like if we have a strong reaction to something and it seems like the thing is out there, like we just haven't gotten in touch with what's going on in here. And that is like kind of hard to um, swallow, but I'm working on it and I think it's true. Um, in his book, Contemplating Reality, Andy Carr has a section where he's talking about causality and he says, you know, when there's a red light and the car stops, we, could, we, we think we see cause and effect. Like, okay, the, the cause is the red light and the effect is the car stops. But like, what are all the other conditions that are coming into fruition in that moment, right? The construction of the car and the way that the brakes work and the mechanics of that whole thing. The human being with the perception the culture that's created this like understanding of traffic lights and signals, the mood of the driver, they're feeling, you know, they're not in a rush, they can obey traffic laws. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> we should all obey traffic laws all the time, even when we're in a rush. Um, but, but I guess the point being like, uh, like driver's ed, that was one of the things that he said, like this person's had driver's ed and they know how to drive a car. And, just kind of like, whoa, so we're like that. We're like that. And I hope that you can feel some, um, uh, even, you know, when we're like gnarly and reactive and kind of caught in, in our patterns that we might still have a little whisper of awe at the situation that we're in, right? We're like, there, like, wow, no self. It's just causes and conditions. Like, here I am freaking out wow, what's that about? 
And, and as practitioners, by bringing mindfulness to our life, we can more and more see what's going on. And um, in seeing what's going on, you know, take responsibility and begin to shift things. It is slow. It does take time. But what else are you doing? You can keep just reacting habitually. I mean, fine. But, but use it, you know. You can use it. So um, Joan Sutherland, who's a, a Zen teacher, a Western Zen teacher, a student of John Tarrant Roshi, she, she had a, a, a nice thing to say about awakening just as, as, as a path. Um, First, just awakening is something different from the projects of self-improvement and self-actualization many Westerners are used to. It's not about being a better self, but about discovering our true self, which is another thing entirely. Awakening is an arc made up of path, revelation, and embodiment. Things tend to go generally in that progression, but these are all aspects of one thing, and they weave in and out of each other. Though enlightenment isn't an absolute threshold, some changes do tend to stay changed. For one thing, we can't quite believe in our delusions as we once did. They still arise because it's part of the nature of the human heart-mind to generate them, but we more easily recognize them for what they are and can more easily or more often let them rise and fall or explore them without becoming hopelessly tangled in them. And I just wanted to underscore that line in, um, in Guishan's admonition of, um, as long as feelings do not stick to things, how can things hinder people, leaving them to the all-pervasive flow of reality? Do not cut them off, yet do not continue them either. Allow them to rise and fall. This is like a heartbeat through the Dharma not grasping, not pushing away. And we were talking about this yesterday in the retreat, um, kind of like, okay, well, if I'm not grasping and I'm not pushing it away and the answer isn't just like be neutral, like what am I doing? And, and it's like exactly, exactly, find out. Find out. It will change your life. Become a master of what is the third thing. If we're going to use words, we use words like intimacy. Be with your experience just as it is. But those words are dead compared to actual life. I like how um, Joan Sutherland talks about the path, or we might say practice, revelation, or like insight, and embodiment. And that these three things are weaving together. We have to practice. We have to practice. Unless we're a very rare individual, we will not have insight without practice. And we need the insight. We need the understanding, right? It's, it's not enough just to calm the mind. If we really want to transform our life, we need to start to see what's going on. We need to start to see what this all is. We need to start to see, right? It's not enough to just like, keep your hands out of the stickiness. Like, you want to start to see, like, wh why, why are things so sticky anyway, <laughs> you know? Um, and then embodiment, that as we're doing this, then we're bringing it alive 
in how we live. So it's like, um, uh, there's that phrase from, from Dogen Fascicle that we studied not too long ago, throw yourself into the house of Buddha. It's like that. Like, let your life be the Buddha's house. You're the Buddha. You. It's also, although she sort of lays it out as path, revelation, embodiment, it's not linear. It's not linear. We're moving in those realms all the time. So in this way, our feelings of discomfort, the places where we actually have pain and stuckness, really become juicy portals for growth and change. So, right, in an unexamined life, we have pain and discomfort, and um, we just act out of it. That's the world we're living in. Check it out, right? So much like reaction, people are hurt, they don't know that they're hurt, that people are angry, they don't know that it's pain, or they do know, or they don't care. But anyway, we're just acting out, acting out, acting out. And we do that, you know, even um, well-meaning practitioners, we're acting out, we're reacting. So we're refining our capacity. Then it's like we can see what's happening, and we can react um, but internally, it's kind of like the first hurdle is like, okay, don't act it out on other people, which is amazing. That in and of itself is like going to make the world a better place, right? So we're still like that motherfucker, but we're not actually like taking a club and like going to their door and banging on it. We're just like having that experience in ourself. And then there's like um, seeing it and we have the react reaction internally and we don't act it out, and then we let ourselves actually feel the feeling. So this is like another pivot point. All before, we're just acting out, we're acting out, and that feeling energy, like, it's not being taken care of. It's not actually being tended to. It's just kind of flying around, and it's going to, like, land on someone else, and they're going to move with it. But here, okay, so now, all right, I'm contained. I'm still having the thought. I'm still having the feeling. I'm not acting it out out there. And now I'm like, okay, wait, something's up. Let me, like, take care of my business. I am mad. I am mad. I am mad. And we feel into that, and we feel like what's underneath it. Nine times out of ten, some kind of pain. We're sensitive, for real. We get hurt, and we carry those wounds across a lifetime. And then, as we keep going, we can see what's happening, and maybe we don't have that whole reaction. Maybe we can more quickly go to like, oh, I'm angry and I'm hurt, and just feel into that and spare ourselves some of that intermediary agony. And my understanding is that as the path continues, we become so in the flow of reality that perhaps that uncomfortable feeling doesn't even arise. We don't get hooked in. Our personal karma is not so triggering. 
and we are um, uh, ever at peace and at ease in reality. I'll let you know if I ever. <laughs> but I mean, I feel like, you know, seeing what we're doing and being able to feel our feelings and not cause harm for others and sort of shorten and curtail our own suffering is amazing. So we need to also recognize that all of this is starting in mind. That our speech and our action always, always, always follow from our thought, our mind, whether we see it consciously or not. Mind is the forerunner of all of it. And so that's where that careful looking inward, attention to our thoughts, being on to ourselves is so important. It's also why um, the, the container of retreat or the container of residency even are both powerful and can be so uncomfortable. Particularly like in a silent retreat where there's a lot of silence and stillness, we can't act out, right? The, the, the container that we've agreed to be in limits our ability to act out in the usual ways, right? We can't go to that person and be like, well, you said that, 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 because we're in silence. And so there we can see that skillful means we have to contend with ourself. We're left with ourself. Sometimes this is really hard. Staying awake, staying awake, and watching for blame. We talked about blame a little bit in the retreat yesterday. Blame is really a dead end. It's really a dead end. First, just to notice, like, when we're in a blaming state of mind, it's painful. It's hard to, like, feel light and joyful and <laughs> at ease with the world when you're like caught in blame. So just noticing that in the way that any time that we're suffering, we should notice what's happening. We're caught. We're sticking. And then also when there's blame, to like look, look more closely. Whose fault? Look more closely. I was thinking about one of my um, triggers um, since forever is like patriarchy in the mountains and rivers order. And I have like, you know, multiple um, sticking places and places of like my own karma that come. And I can feel like when this, this comes up, and this is for those of you who are <laughs> newer to the Sangha, welcome. <laughs> When this comes up, I feel both like, you know, I mean, so many things. Basically, I get very triggered and I have to be on to myself because I can act out in ways that are not helpful, right? My own wounds get triggered. I'm leaping into like blame. I'm leaping into defending. I'm leaping into fixing, which sounds like a good idea, but mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. And... Um, Oh, it can become such a hot mess so quickly. And just this week, I had to reach out to Hojin Sensei twice because I was like, I'm on the verge. <laughs> I'm on the verge of reacting. Help. 
And she was very good at sort of like helping me calm. So it's like if I take my own example, right? Blame. Okay, like who am I going to blame? Dido? Dido was very, uh, very patriarchal in many ways. Dido saved my life. I would not be here if it weren't for Dido Roshi. In fact, none of us would be here if it weren't for Dido Roshi. So blame? I could blame Shugen Roshi. Like, wow, that is such a narrow view. Oh, I could blame my partner, Gokhan. <laughs> Do you understand, like, when we're looking at blame, we're seeing this much. Like, we literally would not be in this sendo practicing with, like, the lights on and a roof over our head and, like, true dharma coming to us and having the opportunity to transform our lives. Yes, there's been male leadership, and yes, it's all karmically conditioned. So, yeah, sure, there's patriarchy. But, like, look more closely. What else? I could deny. But what good is that? There's not, patriarchy's not a problem here. Then I'm not actually in the realm of reality at all. I'm closing off a whole world of experience that people have suffered from. My compassion is limited and small. I'm having to retreat. Instead of being free and expansive and alive in my life, I got to like go, you know, cower in the corner and start to put up barricades. Don't come in here. Even when I go to fixing, which is kind of like my, um, that's like my trigger response actually is like, what can I do? Like, what can I do to make it better? And it's a tricky one because it sounds like, okay, well, that sounds good. But fixing, it's like, you know, imagine like, it's like coming in with your tools and thinking that you know what's going on and like trying to like take the whole thing apart and like remember the car and driver's ed. It's like, wait, there's so many causes and conditions. You don't know. It's arrogant, in fact. It's limited. It's too autonomous. It doesn't allow for the actual mystery and nuance. It's not collective. So in this case, I was reflecting like, okay, so what's, what's the other thing? And I was thinking like, just in the same way that the instruction is to, to like be, be with our feelings, you could think of that as like tending, tending. So, okay, how do we like tend the sangha? How do we take care? Not of ideas, not of words, not of labels, but of each other in like a real way. It's coming from love and commitment to practice and being like, yeah, I get it. It's so complicated. So many causes and conditions. It's like letting ourselves be vulnerable, letting ourselves 
be in our own pain with each other. Allowing for the reality of interconnection. Like we can change conditions. We can. And, and we are. And any time that we see something and think like good or bad, we should know like it's so much more complex. Even to think like, you know, I know for myself and I imagine for many of you, like you came to the Dharma because of suffering. Maybe there was even some moment or um, event in your life where the bottom dropped out. So that event was bad, right? It hurt. So much pain. So much suffering. But without it, would I be here? You might have heard the teaching story of um, the family that uh, receives this amazing gift of a, a, a beautiful stallion. And the, the, the horse arrives, and it's like, oh, yes, this is good. Hooray. And um, sometime later, uh, that same year, the, the horse runs away. And that's bad. But when spring comes, the horse returns with a mare. And that's really great. But then the son gets thrown from the horse and breaks his leg. So that's bad. But then when the army recruiters come to take the son away, he doesn't have to go. He can stay home. So that's good. What happens when we drop the good and bad and say, I, together with all beings, may we all enter the way. May I actually live in accord with the vow to do good, cease from harm, and actualize good for others. There is no rule book. There is no easy answers. But there is this life. And there is that deep belief in cause and effect. That we can trust that doing good, good will follow. Whether we can see it or not. That the intention to wake up is working in us. So it's good to give rise to that intention and to take yourself seriously in it. And the teaching that the benefit that we do in our practice is of benefit to all beings in the six realms. I have to say, I, um, on my hermitage, I, um, that teaching was fresh in my mind from something that I had listened to or watched. And when I sat down on my seat, I um, thought, okay, may I do zazen so that all beings may be liberated. And I found, oh, that really expanded 
my experience. I could feel it was true. When we see into our own experience, this lets us bring forth compassion for others. It lets us bring forward understanding instead of blame. Wise action instead of just confused acting out. We're clearing the channel so we can come from love. There's the cause and effect we know and the cause and effect we trust. We practice having faith in. And when we offer our life and our practice more and more for the benefit of all beings, grounding more and more in that true intention, moving more and more deeply into the heart of practice and into the heart of reality, we are shifting. We are transforming. And you cannot say if it is self or other. You cannot say. Yesterday we closed the retreat with a um, translation of Gampopa's four phrases. And I wanted to share a, a different translation of that same teaching as a way to close today. I will leave it to you who this prayer is addressed to. Grant your blessings so that our minds may follow the Dharma. Grant your blessings that the Dharma becomes the path. Grant your blessings that the path dispels confusion. Grant your blessings that confusion dawns as wisdom. I realized before the vows that I just have a little, a little postscript. So when we as a Sangha are grappling with something like patriarchy that's going to be um, received and felt in so many different bodies in so many different ways, that there's not one way. Like, I trust us. I trust us. And if, like, you're, you need to, like, speak out and express anger, I'm not saying don't do that. Okay? I'm not saying don't do that. We need all of us to do our best to take care of and tend to our own reality and be doing that in the service of love, and that's going to be expressed in many different ways. And if we're coming from that place, it's like for the good. May it be for the good. Okay? Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. For meditation supplies such as cushions, incense, liturgical instruments, dharma books, and more, visit monasterystore.org. Support for your spiritual practice at home.